Since the beginning of Christianity, the invitation has been that salvation has come through a cross. But we have to get out of our minds the idea of the crosses that are part of the decor of many churches today or the kind of crosses that we hang around our necks. The cross in the day of the early church imposed by Rome was vulgar. It was offensive. Something people cringed at, something you wouldn't talk about in civilized company. And it, so it would make sense that those who followed Jesus, who those who followed the Christ, would want to diminish the crucifixion and jump straight into the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But they actually do the exact opposite. In fact, not only did they love to tell the story about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, it's what they led with. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. It, it's, it's hard to take for both Jews and non-Jews. And we don't just talk about it, we proclaim it as part of the good news of the Christ. They use the words or the, and, and the themes of the prophet Isaiah who had, who had spoken of this mysterious suffering servant almost 700 years earlier. And the, the, the first believers would apply these words to Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 53 verse 5 it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. When we look at the, the actions and the vulgarity of the cross, you and I are seeing our salvation, they're saying. So the invitation that I want to give you today is, to look at the cross, to take it in, in its fullness. And what do we find when we look at the cross? Well, the first thing we see is definitely we see physical suffering. Some preachers in an attempt to kind of contextualize the cross will compare it to modern day execution of criminals through electrocution or lethal injection. And there are a lot of similarity, similarities. There's, they're both punishments. They're both for the lowest form of criminal. They are both state-imposed. But where electrocution or lethal injection is meant to be quick and it's meant to be humane, the cross was meant to be the exact opposite. It was meant to bring on prolonged suffering. Author and theologian Fleming Rutledge describes Christ's suffering this way. She says this, and this is X-rated. The first phase of a Roman execution was scourging. The lictors, Roman legionnaires assigned to this duty, used a whip made of leather cords to which small pieces of metal or bone had been fastened. With the first strokes of the scourge, skin would be pulled away and subcutaneous tissue exposed. As the process continued, the lacerations would begin to tear into the underlying skeletal muscles. This would result not only in great pain, but also in appreciable blood loss. The idea was to weaken the victim to a state just short of collapse or death. And so even if Jesus may not have suffered as bad as some have suffered in history, in the tortures that many have suffered, we can say that the level of suffering that Jesus was exposed to was hellish and beyond question. But there was more than just physical suffering that Jesus walked through. There was also emotional pain. In Isaiah chapter 53 verse 4, 
The prophet says this, he said, Surely he has borne our griefs, he carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We thought this was something, that it was so bad, this kind of shame and guilt, that we assumed that God was laying this on him. Part of Jesus' suffering on the cross was the humiliation that went along with it. Isaiah would say the jeering, the guilt, the shame, the dehumanizing was drawn towards Christ himself, away from me and away from you. New Testament scholar Joel Green describes it this way. He says, executed publicly, situated at a major crossroads or on a well-trafficked artery, devoid of clothing, left to be eaten by birds and beasts. Victims of crucifixion were subject to optimal, unmitigated, vicious ridicule. It was common for taunting and and, and ridicule to accompany the procedure of crucifixion. And in the case of Jesus, the New Testament tells us that a crown of thorns was shoved onto his head. A purple robe was placed on him. A mock scepter was added to intensify the mockery of the one who called himself king of the Jews. There was a a stigma attached to the cross. And we, we need to understand that if we want to understand and behold the cross in its fullness, and everyone was invited to join in. So there was physical pain, there was emotional pain in the cross, but there was also most definitely spiritual pain that Jesus suffered. Matthew 27, verse 26 says, In about the ninth hour, that's about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, crying, Eli, Eli, lay my sebachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the one point in all the Gospels where Jesus comes completely undone. Even when he wept at his cousin's death, we weren't close to this. This is something new. Jesus, proclaiming in that moment, weighed down by by choice with the sins of humanity, taking on the shame, the physical pain, he was struck finally with the sense of separation that sin brings, bringing it, taking all of it on at once. No greater pain has ever been experienced on any level than the hell that Christ suffered in this moment. But why? Because he carried all of that pain, that sin, that guilt and shame in that moment. Yet on a far deeper level, he was forsaken and punished for us to reconcile us to God. If after this time together today, I receive an email or someone calls me and says, I don't like the way you preach. I don't like the way you pastor. I'm gone. I don't want to ever see you again. That's going to hurt. But if I come home one day and the love of my life, my wife approaches me, one who I've shared an intimacy with for such a long time, and she says, I don't ever want to see you again, that is a lot worse. Why? Because the longer the love, the deeper the love, the greater the torment of its loss. But this forsakenness that Jesus experiences, this loss was between a father and a son who had loved each other for all of eternity. Jesus, the maker of the world, was being unmade because he was experiencing judgment day. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it it wasn't a rhetorical question. And the answer to My God, my God, why have you forsaken me is this. He was forsaken for you. 
and he was forsaken for me. So that we would never have to be. The judgment that should have fallen on us fell instead on Jesus. And he felt the the spiritual separation that sin leads to. When Jesus cries out to God the Father from the cross, he's framing his experience in Psalm 22. And some of you might know that that's what he's quoting at that point. Psalm 22 verses 1 to 5 say this, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. And then it turns, it says, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praise of Israel. Our ancestors trusted you and you rescued them. They cried out to you and they were saved. They trusted you and they were never disgraced. So if you've ever wondered... What was on Jesus' mind in this moment on the cross? It was an understanding and a proclamation of future deliverance. Because God can be trusted. Not simply for himself, but for all who would take it. All who would accept this gift. All who would trust him and cry out and trade in their shame and their guilt. And that is the invitation of the cross. And it's the invitation, it's that invitation of the cross that can only be understood if we accept it in all its fullness. That is what the cross, that is what the New Testament writers want us to see, that that in the cross we see God in human flesh who would not abandon his creation to shame and guilt and sin and death and he took our future into his hands. And we might ask, why did Jesus have to suffer in these ways. Well, aren't these the burdens of creation? Aren't these the burdens of the human condition? Can we not categorize our own suffering into these, these areas? Physical pain, death, decay, what we're walking through right now in the entire world. Some of us have a, having to watch loved ones suffer, see cancer take its toll on our bodies. We experience physical pain daily, emotional pain, the pain that we suffer that can't be seen, that we can't put a timeline on, the shame we suffer because of public and private sin, our own and others, and spiritual pain, the sense that there is division between us and God, between us and grace and forgiveness. You see, the method by which we are saved is closely linked to the question of what we are saved from. Jesus' situation under the judgment of Rome is a a mirror of our situation under sin. He was condemned. He was rendered helpless and powerless. He was stripped of his humanity. He was reduced to the status of a beast, declared unfit to live and deserving of of a death proper of slaves. And that's what the Apostle Paul says we are outside of Christ. Slaves to sin and its power. It's reign in our lives. It's dehumanizing hate for God's creation. See, the cross declares to our our physical pain that there is ultimately healing to be found. And it may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. But we know that ultimately on the other side of pain is glory and healing because Jesus has punched a hole through death. That's been the conviction of every martyr throughout history because of the cross. 
The conviction of many of you when you have faced suffering and death that those who trust in God will be delivered. The cross also declares to those living in shame that forgiveness from the highest authority is freely given. That there is is no sin so great, no guilt before God or man that the cross does not cover it. That anything that might separate you from the love of God is torn down, trampled on, burned, disposed of at the cross. See, the cross is ugly. The cross is ugly. It's vulgar because it takes everything ugly about the human condition and it gives it a physical depiction. You want to know where sin leads? It leads to a cross. See, but the cross is beautiful. The cross is wonderful because it takes the tenacity, the audacity, the stubbornness of God's love in spite of the mess and it displays it. You want to know where God's love leads? Leads to a cross. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads wherever you are. And I want to share a prayer that was shared with me years back from Pastor John Hawes. It's a Puritan prayer. And I want to ask that you just allow the truth of these words, the truth of this prayer because of the cross to just kind of shower over you and remind you of what Christ purchased for us at the cross. Christ was all anguish that you might be all joy. Christ was cast off that you might be brought in. Christ was trodden down as an enemy that you might be welcomed as a friend. He surrendered to hell's worst that you might attain heaven's best. He was stripped that you might be clothed. He was wounded that you might be healed. He was made thirsty that you might drink. Tormented that you might be comforted. He was made a shame that you might inherit glory. He entered darkness that you might have eternal light. He wept that all tears might be wiped from your eyes. He groaned so that you might have endless song. He endured all pain that you might have unfading health. He bore a thorny crown so that you can have a glory diadem. He bowed his head so that you might lift yours up. He experienced reproach so that you might receive welcome. He closed his eyes in death so that you might gaze on unclouded brightness. He expired that you might live forever. Amen.